And it's going to be a, a great weekend next weekend. One worship, guests, food, what a wonderful time. We are in this series, we missed last week, so what we were going to talk on last week, we'll talk on this week, and that, you know, that we are a glorious church, that our hope is in a glorious church, a church that Jesus is the head of. And there was a wonderful word brought by Charles this morning saying, you know, if, if churches become stale for you, if it's like, oh, I just go to church, I don't know why, or, you know, first of all, we are, we're, we're coming and we're gathering together, not going to church, we're gathering together as the church. And that we're here to build one another up, to encourage one another. We're here. So if you're feeling stale, go to the ministry team today. Just say, listen, guys, can you pray for me? Or speak to someone you know, around you. Just, guys, can you pray for me? Get a word of encouragement from someone. You know, if you're here and you're not feeling that, just ask, God, is there anyone you want me to encourage today? Because we're here for one another. We're gathered here together, not just to worship and listen to a message. We're here for one another, to build relationship with one another, to be connecting with one another so that, you know, we are a body together as we go out into the world and we bring Jesus everywhere that we go. Amen? Amen. How is everyone today? Yeah? Fantastic? That is good. You all love the snow? Yes, we're in Canada. We have no choice. We have to love the snow. We got to embrace it, right? <laughs> it's those times when you've moved here from a hot country, you're going, why exactly did I come to Canada? Then you're like, oh yes, okay, it's supposedly the greatest country in the world to live in. That's why I came, even with the snow. You notice that most of the countries that they say are the greatest country to live in are cold climate countries because we have to make it good. Otherwise, people wouldn't come. Like, I'm going to go somewhere warm. <laughs> Got to make have some type of appeal to convince you to come here. That's, that's why. So I don't know if they bribe all those survey people so that when they publish them, they say, greatest country, I'm not sure. You know, and we, we always question it when it snows, but embrace it. It's fun and it does get warm again. That one thing you can put your hope in. <laughs> so as we talk about this glorious church, the other thing is that God's brought you here because he needs you here. You know, you've come to this country with a purpose in God. You know, you've come here, regardless of why you moved here, God has a purpose for you here. There's a plan and purpose for your life in this country that is beyond working. Not that you're not supposed to work. We're all meant to. You're there for career, but you're in that workplace to be the salt and the light of God into that into that workplace. You are in the neighborhood you are in to be the salt and light of Jesus in that neighborhood. You are here with a plan and a purpose. If you were born in Canada, you're here with a plan and purpose. If you immigrated here, you're here with a plan and purpose. And that counts for every single one of us. So as we have this hope in a glorious church, one of the, there's, there's some different... Uh, themes of that that we're talking about because these are part of our core values as a church. And so the one we're chatting about today is that we work to leave a legacy and inheritance for future generations, just as previous generations have done for us. While anticipating Christ's glorious return, we simply do not know when he will come, which should inspire us to have a long-term earthly vision. We've got to think long-term. You know, 
we need to do what it says in Proverbs 13, that we leave an inheritance for our children's children. It says a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. This inheritance there is a monetary inheritance, and this is a good principle, but there's also a spiritual inheritance that we need to leave, not just for our children, but for our children's children. I heard someone speaking and saying, you know, there's really no grandchildren in the kingdom. And what that means is, is that really what we put into our kids is so important for them to pass down to their kids. You know, us investing in them is what allows our children's children to receive that inheritance in protecting and building. We were talking to some people this week and just talking about, you know, there's so many churches that have a bunch of people in them that are all like 60 or 70 or 80 years old. Because their mindset was, well, what works for us? And so as they continued to build, the, the, the generations coming behind them are like, we can't be here because you've just made it for you. And so we've got to go and find something else. And so all that happens is those churches die off. As, as a church, it's so important that we're thinking generationally. We watch the importance of that today where we have... You know, I mean, what an example of, of generations where we have Rob and Jacqueline who don't have any children investing in our children. You know, we've got different generations working together, you know, to leave an inheritance to create this glorious church for Jesus. It's why it's so important. You will grow, you know, just that thing that they said about ministering to the kids, to teaching the kids. It can be a scary thing, but you will grow more than you can imagine by taking on that responsibility, by making that commitment. Because when you put yourself in a place where you've got to teach others, then suddenly you have to grow. And the amazing thing with kids, it, mean, it forces you to simplify your understanding. It forces you to really focus your understanding because A, especially with the grade levels that they're teaching, they ask tough questions. But they also, you know, they, they, they're looking for answers. And so you need to know. But you don't need to know it until you need to teach it. So if it's like, oh, well, I don't, I don't have a Bible degree. I don't, have, I don't have all this knowledge. That's okay. But what you do is you prepare and learn and you, and you teach on to the kids. This stuff is so key. Us having a mindset of leaving an inheritance for our children's children is so important. And in a speaking of this today, the whole, the whole reason we have to speak about things like this is that in North America, in particularly in the U.S., there's all these theologies that are incredibly popular, that are, you know, that are presented you know, on Christian media and radio and things like that, that ultimately put people in a mindset that they shouldn't prepare for their children's future because the Lord is coming back in the next couple of years. So what's the point? The truth is, and what we want to look at in Scripture today, is we do not know when Jesus is going to come back. We have no idea. Jesus told us that. His own words were, you will not know. I will come like a thief in the night. You know, and we're going to read those words from Scripture. 
But what he did say is that we're to be ready as if he's going to return today. But we're to live, you know, as if he isn't going to return today. And these themes are so important in Scripture. So our, our spiritual life with God needs to be that, that Jesus could come back at any moment, I need to be ready. Our building of our life our, and our future generations needs to be, I need to build a church, I need to build a family, I need to build a legacy that will extend through multiple generations because Jesus may not come back for another thousand years. These two things are so important for us. The church is meant to be victorious. The church is meant to prevail. The church is meant to be to demonstrate to this broken world what the kingdom of God looks like. The church should be the place that the world is turning to for hope and knowledge. But unfortunately, particularly over the last hundred years, which interestingly enough, over the last 200 years, where this type of thinking, this thinking like, oh, we, you know, Jesus is going to come at any moment, has been prevalent, the church has lost its influence on society. And it's time for the church to start behaving in a way that the world starts looking to it again. We don't do this by forcing the world or trying to make the world, but it's by us, us living in a way that the world is like, well, hold on, they've got answers that I do not have. And their life reflects the fact that God is with them. Their life, reflect, their life reflects that God is with them. So let's look at a couple of scriptures. Let's look at Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. We're going to start in the Old Testament with prophecies about Jesus. In Isaiah 9 here, it says that for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, it's, now most of us if you know if you've been a Christian for a period of time, this prophecy is speaking of Jesus. Then it goes on here in verse 7, and it says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And I've highlighted that for us. We'll read it through. I'll come back to it. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The Lord will accomplish this. I think it's really important. It's a really important theme for us. God is going to accomplish his purposes. God will accomplish them. But this interesting thing about it, talking about Jesus and this prophecy about who Jesus will be, it says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. The greatness. This theme is so important for us. Because what happens if we have this wrong thinking, you know, which is rooted in a thing called dispensationalism, which I'm not going to do a whole long thing on, but if you're like, what is this, this concept is that, oh, well, you know, the world is going to go through terrible things. The world's going to get worse. All these terrible things are going to happen. And 
you know, we just, we just have got to, that's just inevitable, so there's nothing we can do about that. But the opposite is actually what we're told to do in Scripture. What we're told in, in Scripture to do is to affect and change this world. We are to disciple the nations. We're to bring the kingdom to demonstrate that. We're to bring about change as the church. We are here to partner with God to do the works for which we've been created to do to bring about change in this world. Now, you don't have to be a public figure. You don't have to be like, oh, well, I, I have to have a whole pile of power. I have to have this. I can't change anything. No, no, you can. You can every day when you go to work be bringing the kingdom with you, knowing that you're, because you, you bring it with you whether you know it or not. Right? Whether you know it or not, the kingdom is there with you. But if you're aware that the kingdom is with you, then you can be where, God, I am here for you. I'm here for you. What do you want to do today? Who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to pray for? What do you want me to do? I had someone come up and ask me a question a couple weeks ago. and says, well, you know, in our work environment, we're told we can't talk about Jesus. And I'm like, absolutely, and I get that. And that's a lot of people's work environment. We're told that. But you know, the, the, the early church, the apostles were told by the government, governing authorities, you can't speak about Jesus. And they said, we cannot obey you. We can only do what God tells us to do. And it comes down to who's in charge of our lives. Is it, is it Jesus or is it us? Now, I'm not saying to be unwise and I am not saying to be unloving and I am not saying to be offensive. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to, will we obey God? Or do we, or we go, oh, Lord, see this, my boss said I can't speak about you. And so he trumps you. He trumps you. And this is, this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of the saying. This is, where, this is where it comes down to who is really in charge of our lives. Us or God? Us or God? And the church will never be its glorious church while we are afraid of the world. We cannot be glorious while we're afraid. And again, I'm not suggesting that we be rude. One of the other problems is, is that Christians have been rude. They've been pushy. They've tried to force their th faith on people. They've presented things in terrible ways. And so as a result, people are like, we don't want you talking. But done in love, done in obedience, done in, Lord, what is it you want me to do? What is it you want me to say? Man, then the power of God is able to go and work through us everywhere, where we don't have to be embarrassed about being Christians, where we don't have to hide our faith, but that we can shine and we can love and we can bring the kingdom wherever it is that we go. Wherever it is that we go. Jesus says some powerful things. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing it. But, or Paul, you know, Paul says it actually in, in Ephesians, I believe. It's like, you know, it just challenges. Like, hey, don't deny Christ. He'll always be faithful. But if you're going to turn his back on him and deny him, why do you expect him to move in your life? And these are important things because, again, remember we are talking about several months ago, only 3% of society at this, of, of Canada is, are born-again Christians. Only 3%. There was a study that I was, was forwarded to me this, this week, and of the, all the students in the Peel District School Board, more would identify, openly identify is, uh, with, as, 
being Muslim than they would Christian. Now, the question with that is how many people are just afraid to identify it? I don't know. But the church is losing ground because we are bowing to the authority of the world instead of to the authority of Jesus. So, getting back to this in, in Luke, there's two, three chapters that are very important in understanding where some of these concepts that we have in Christianity about the end times come from. And in the Gospels, you know, there is Matthew 24 and 25, there is Luke 21, and there is Mark 13 that all tell basically the same story. And it's confusion around these that sets up the wrong thinking in many Christians. This concept, which I have to explain, but I'm going to do it incredibly basic, in a very simple way, this concept of, with dispensationalism, it's where we get this concept of the rapture from. It's where we get the idea, uh, the idea that even the modern idea, these, these ideas have only been around since the 1800s. Okay? The whole concept of the Jews have to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. These are all ideas that have only existed in the last couple hundred years. But 65% of evangelical Americans believe them because they've been taught them for the last couple hundred years and they were exported to America from England and exported from America around the world. So if, if this is a concept you've heard or, be, or believed, it's not that you're out in left field, it's just that there's some really unhelpful teaching and confusion that's been brought into the church that causes us to have a worldview that is very unhelpful. And it actually brings all kinds of fear into us at this moment in time. That's why I started a week or two ago is please don't get into this thing of, oh my goodness, look what's happening in the Middle East. The end of the world is about to happen. And I want to, from Scripture, show you why. So let's look at Scripture. So we're going to read, I'm going to read from both Luke and Matthew, but I'm going to start at Luke 21, verses 7 to 8. And what's just happened is Jesus is outside the temple and he's saying about the temple, you know, not one stone from this thing is, is going to be still standing. And the disciples are like, whoa. I mean, because in Jewish culture at that time, the temple was invincible, even though it had been torn down a couple of times, but it was the center of worship for them. And so Jesus saying that this temple won't be standing was a big deal. But he didn't say it in this big public. He said it with his disciples. And so they said to him, as we read here in Luke 21, verse 7 and 8, he says, Teacher, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? And Jesus replied, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. Now, we don't have time to go through the whole thing. It's very important, but I'm going to help you so that you can go home and go through the whole thing. We're going to go through some key verses, both in Matthew 21, or in Luke 21, and Matthew 24, 25. And I'm realistically going to need 15 minutes. So if we, if we tell, yeah, if you just tell the kids, because then it's already 12 o'clock. 
Luke 21, it says here, we're going to look down in verse 21, or Luke 21, verses 20 to 24. Jesus, so there in 7 and 8 says, hey, look, don't be deceived. And then he goes on and he says something, he explains a number of different things, just saying, look, all these things have got to happen. All these other different things have got to happen. But Jesus was talking to them about the destruction of the temple. And what's really important is we understand there's two things. In Matthew 25, it's, or Matthew 24, 25, it splits them better than it does in Luke and in Mark. But Jesus addresses for the disciples, when will the temple be destroyed? Now, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. The Jesus' mission, which is really important to remember. Remember when in, in the Gospels, we've got a Gentile woman coming to Jesus, asking for healing, and Jesus replies this really strong answer. He says, why? I can't take the children's bread and give it to dogs. And he goes on and says, my mission is not to you, it's to the Jews at this moment in time. It's to the Jewish people. And yet, because she's insistent, he heals her. But Jesus' teaching, a lot of the things he said were said, everything he said was said directly to the Jewish nation because that's who he was sent to. What he did was for the whole world. His death and resurrection on the cross was for the whole world. And we learn from what he taught. But we've got to remember the context of what he was teaching into. And Jesus was teaching the people is going, hey, look, this time is going to end where it's about you and the promised land. And a time is about to begin, a new time, that Paul writes about being the, a mystery. He writes about it a lot in Ephesians. He says, you know, this mystery that we've been given the administration of, and that mystery was that God was now working not just with the Jews, but the Jews and the Gentiles and making them into one new church that we have today. It was, it went from God working as had been up to that point in history just for the Jewish people to now he's working with Jew and Gentile together. It wasn't about one people. Now all people had been grafted in to this vine because of what Jesus did on the cross. What Jesus is talking to his disciples about here in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, for part of it, he talks about two things, but the part he's talking about here that we're about to read is about the destruction of the temple, about the coming to the end of that age where God is working through those people and the, the, the end of that will be this destruction. And here's what he says. In verse 20, he says, When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in the fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful 
It will be to, in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That happened. 70 A.D., the Romans wiped out Jerusalem because there had been a political uprising of people trying to restore and take the, of a particular group of the Jewish nation that was trying to, to overthrow the Romans and they got annihilated. The Christians, knowing this prophecy, left before it happened. They were gone. They were gone from Jerusalem before this happened. Because they understood this prophecy. They understood what, it wasn't, what Jesus was saying and what he was teaching them. is saying, look, Jerusalem, this, this, this will end. What you've been living in, this thing, it, it will end. It will be over. And now there will be, you know, and, and it will be over. The temple will be destroyed. So let's skip over to Matthew. Matthew 24, verse 36 to 41. It's the same story. You read these, there's time about the same things. In Matthew, it's divided a little better. So Jesus first talks about the destruction of the temple, and then he talks about his return. It's like, this is, you know, the destruction of the temple, you'll be able to know when that happens. Here's all the signs about the destruction of the temple. These are the things that are, you're going to see that will lead up to the destruction of the temple. When you see these things, get out of here. Flee. Flee. Then he says, but about, when in talking about his second coming, he says, but about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father. And then he says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. But up to the day, of the, the day Noah entered the ark... And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Now, misunderstanding of what's being said there at the end causes us to have this thing that combined with some stuff in Thessalonians about the rapture. It's like, oh, Jesus is going to return and people are going to disappear and now there's going to be this, according to dispensationalism, then there'll be this reign of terror where Satan rules on the earth for, some say a thousand years, there's all these different things that people say that is not backed by Scripture. What Jesus does say in teaching about this time in saying that, that you know, Two will be there. One will be gone and one left. Is before he says, look, when I come, we're gonna, again, we're going to read some of this stuff. When I come back, I'm going to gather all my people and they're going to be separated 
You know, be separated, some like sheep and goats. One will be on one side of me. Those that are righteous, that have followed me, they'll be on one side. Those that are not righteous, that have not followed me, that have not put their faith in me, they'll be on the other side. One group will be with me. The other will be sent into the fires, the eternal fires that were prepared for the destruction, their destruction. So here is not a backing of this idea that we're suddenly going to disappear one day. It continues on, Matthew 24, verses 42 to 51, is where he says, be ready for this coming. Expect his return always. When you read this, he's telling, saying, look, always be ready. The wonderful thing he says, and it's repeated, it's, Jesus says it, and it's repeated by Paul, by James, by Peter, is that it won't be a surprise to us when Jesus returns because we'll be ready. Not that we know the day he's coming. It's not that it won't be that, you know, they're going, oh, well, Jesus actually is going to tell us the day he's coming. It's that because we live, or if, he doesn't say because, it says if we live with Jesus as our Lord, if we're living righteous lives, if we are making him our king, if we are serving him, then when he comes, we will rejoice. We will be ready. We won't be surprised. It won't be like, oh, we won't be in terror. We won't be afraid because we'll be like, oh, it's our Lord. There he is. He's coming on a cloud. Look at this. He's, he's, he's right. Here's, here's Jesus. The world that has rejected Jesus, that is not prepared, they're going to be like, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. I'm in a place of terror because I know what's, I, I either anticipate or I know or I'm scared of what's about to come. Or I have no idea what is about to come because I don't, I've rejected Jesus. I don't believe that who, and who he is. And when this day happens, it's going to be terrible for me. It's so important we understand what it is that Jesus was teaching. And that how we, because it frames everything else that we are and that we do. So, understanding this in the concept of what it is our job is. Our job is to get this, ourselves and this world ready for Jesus' return. You know, our message is one of hope to people. Hope that, you know, if the world ends tomorrow, if you have a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter. It's going on for eternity. If you die, it doesn't matter because you will never taste death. You have eternal life now and forevermore. That's our message. That's our hope. That's why we call people to obedience with Jesus. We continue on. Because the incredible thing is when you read Matthew 25 and the parables that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, and they just bring everything into clarity. And we're not going to read all these parables for the sake of time, but let me, let me just give you a quick overview. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 2, is the parable of the ten virgins. Where he, in that parable, he's talking about this will be like, you know, at those end days. When I return, be like, some, you know, the, the parable of the ten virgins, five of them prepared and five didn't. And the ones that weren't ready when he returned didn't get into the kingdom. In the parable of the talents, after that, in Matthew 25, verses 13 to 30, there's those that are given, you know, are entrusted with something, and some of them 
took what they were entrusted with and they multiplied or they doubled it. You know, some doubled it, some multiplied it. But there's, you know, one person who took what was given to him, buried it in the sand, did nothing with it. And the one that did nothing with what had been given to them, when the king returned, as Jesus talking about his return, the, peop the people that are like, oh, well, yeah, you gave me this gift, but I just took it and buried it because I was scared. And he's like, well, I'm going to take that back from you and you're rejected. You're, you will be kicked out. They're strong words. They're strong words from Jesus to his disciples saying, hey, I am going to go, but I'm coming back one day. Be ready. Don't just, don't just live whichever way you want to. Don't be like, oh, well, he hasn't come back yet, and so he mustn't be returning. He's like, no, no, I will return. You won't know when it happens, but live every day as if I'm coming back that day. Take what I've given you, and, and, and multiply it. You know, multi when in, that, in his kingdom, multiplication is taking the message of the gospel and make disciples of the nations. Make disciples of those around you. Teach other people about me. Show other people, take what I've done for you and do it for others. Because if you take what I've done for you and you do nothing with it, don't think you're getting into the kingdom. It's strong words. They're strong words, but they're Jesus' words. They're his words. And it's after that in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, he says about separating. It'll be when I come. It'll be like, I'll be separating the sheep and the goats. And when he talks about the, what, you know, how did people end up being sheep or goats, he's like, these ones, the ones that are accepted into my kingdom, the sheep, they're the ones that did something. They did something. They, they fed, you know, when, when one of my disciples came to them, they helped them. In some way, they did this, they did that, the other. And it was, but the ones over here, the goats, they did nothing. They did nothing. So they're gone. Matthew 25, verses 24 to 30. It says, Then a man came who had received one... Oh, we already talked about this parable. I'll read it. It says, A man came who'd received one bag of gold and said, Master, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathered where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that it, when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take that bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our, there's a seriousness to what Jesus teaches about his return. He says, you will not know when it's going to happen. He says, prepare as if I'm not, you know, be, prepare as if I'm coming tomorrow. But that preparation means that we're preparing and we're multiplying his kingdom. We are living for him. 
We're taking the resources that he's given to us, the gifts, the talents, our abilities, and not spending them on ourselves, and, but living for him. Living for him. Jesus never told us, never told us to go out and get people to say a prayer or go, you know, go, oh, do you want to make a decision for Jesus? Oh, yes, I do. Okay, I put my hand up. You know, when that person puts their hand up and then they're gone, gone, you know, next week they don't following Jesus, that's just as bad as the guy that had the gold and did nothing with it. Jesus called us to make disciples. To make disciples. And making disciples is a long, arduous task. It means walking with people, loving people, being involved in their lives. It's why we need church. Right? We need each other. Because we need each other. Discipleship isn't a decision. It's not me committing my life in a meeting and, oh, look, I'm saved. It's not me praying a prayer. Oh, I'm saved. It's amazing. I'm not saved unless I'm walking with Jesus. And if I stop walking with Jesus, if I reject him, I stop being saved. Right? This is really important. Because it's what Jesus taught, it's what Paul taught. It isn't this thing of, oh, well, I made, prayed a prayer one day, I made a commitment, I don't live as if I did, but that's okay because I got my fire insurance, I'm all good. That is not a disciple. Jesus never classified that as a disciple. Scripture in no way classifies that as a disciple. A disciple is someone walking long-term with Jesus as his Lord. Paul constantly wrote, going, I hope that what I've done is not in vain. He's writing to these churches that he spent all this time with, planting them, helping them grow, helping them, you know, become something. And, and you know, now he's left and he's like, he's writing back to them going, I hope that people haven't come in and given you some false teaching and caused you to turn away from Jesus because if you've turned away from Jesus, then you're not getting into the kingdom. He didn't say, it's okay, you prayed this prayer one day, all is good. And so, this understanding, the understanding of, hey, you prayed a prayer one day, all is good, is why 3% of you know, people are actually Christians. Because there's no reality. There's no reality to the church. This thing of discipleship, of laying our lives down, of Jesus being our Lord, not us living our best life now, but us living the life that God has for us because we've surrendered to him and allowing him to lead, guide, and teach us. That is what a disciple of Jesus is. That's a disciple of Jesus. But he's got to be our Lord. And we've got to take seriously what it is that he's called us to do and live that out. We saw an example of two people today that we got to celebrate who came into this community. They walked in the door and are like, how do I make disciples here? How do I serve here? Got involved. And like, okay, I don't think that either of them had ever taught kids before. I, don't, I, I might be wrong. But like, well, just, let's, okay, we can serve in this capacity. And look at, look at the multiplication. Look at the multiplication. That's what we're all called to do. That's what we're all called to do. And we can be this glorious church. But we've got to get our thinking right. We've got to get our belief system right. You know? and, and, we've, and, our, and our lives to li- our lives will line up with what we believe at the end of the day. Our lives will line up with what we believe. And there's a healthy fear of God. He's a loving father who loves us and cares for us and says, when you mess up, you can always come to me. You can always come to me. It doesn't matter how many times you get things wrong. It doesn't matter how many things you've done. You can always come to me. But fear doing nothing with the gifts I've given you because there's no spoiled children in my kingdom.
There's no self-centered children in my kingdom. So let's be that glorious church that we're called to be. Thank you for allowing me to go over time, for sticking with me this morning. And let me just pray for us. Or no, Adam, you, you can pray for us. <laughs> we praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for James. Thank you for his biblical teaching to us, Lord God. I pray that you will sow those seeds in our hearts, that we will draw closer to you through the words that James has said today. And I pray that you will reveal more of yourself to us this week as we go ahead um, back to our lives, back to our workplaces. And I pray that these things will really stay with us and uh, that you will bless us and those around us through these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you need prayer, please come and speak to the ministry team. Please don't forget to get your kids. Um, We don't need to stack the foldy chairs. So leave the foldy chairs out, but these black chairs, if you want to help us stack those, that'll be super great. Have a blessed week, guys. We love you. Bye-bye.